Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We are on a a mini-series called uh, King of All Kingdoms. And uh, just a short mini-series, two weeks. And let's open up with prayer as we get ready to begin. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I just pray, Lord, would you come, Holy Spirit, guide our ears, guide our hearts. Lord, would you guide my my thoughts, and my tongue. Lord, may I communicate what you want us to see and hear today, that we would be changed, transformed in a way we didn't even expect that would change our relationship with you. And we ask this in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. Well, hey, if you're listening to this via podcast, we want to say thanks for joining us. We hope that this would help you take your next step closer to Jesus. You know, for as much as the kingdom of Rome oppressed and loomed over the Israelites, there is still another kingdom at play that was going over that time of oppression for the Jews. It's called the kingdom of expectations. And I'm telling you, it's big. It really impacted the Jews. I don't care if they were young or old. I don't care if they were leaders or followers. Their expectations really impacted what they saw and what they did. And you know what? Don't expectations impact you? If you go to a restaurant and... And, and you're in there and you expect a certain kind of service for this amount of money. And so your attitude, your attitude is going to be in complete ratio to your expectations. You will behave based on your expectations. The lower your expectations, the lower your behavior. The higher, the higher. Amen? Well, let me share this little story with you. Now, the story goes that a man visited home where there were like six kids. And he was kind of like the adopted grandfather to this family. And he was there trying to engage, trying to get involved with the children and be at their level. So he goes to one of the little girls that was there and, and he sees that she has a collection of dolls. And he says, which one is your favorite? And she says... Do you promise not to laugh? He says, absolutely, sweetheart. I wouldn't laugh. Which one is your favorite? She stood there for a second. She goes, I'll be right back. She went into a room, probably her bedroom, and there she grabbed this doll and she came back out with it. This doll was ragged all up. One of the hands was like half gone. The nose was bit off by the dog. There, there was a crack in the ear on the face. There, it was ripped on the side. One foot was missing. It was a wreck. And she goes, this is my favorite. He didn't laugh. He was smart. He didn't 
laugh. And he looked at her and he says, sweetheart, explain to me why this one is your favorite doll. She goes, because nobody would love this one. So she's my favorite and I love her. He didn't expect that kind of an answer. He had no idea where she was going with it all. But she was like Jesus on fire right now. This kind and helpful and this caring man is just like so many of us. He had a typical common expectation of what her favorite doll would look like. But his expectation was way off track. That little girl's expectation and why she did and why she thought, why she did, it was just rooted in love. And the rest of the house didn't get it. They all missed it. But now the man understood. In so many ways, the story of Jesus, the idea that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of God's people, they missed it. They kind of viewed Jesus as the raggedy old doll, and they missed it. I wonder how many times in our life we're missing it. We just don't get it because our expectations are saturated in our knowledge, are saturated in our culture, are saturated in our upbringing, are saturated in our academics, in, our, in academia. It's so saturated in the geopolitical world of today that we can't see the obvious that's right in front of us. We miss it. We miss it. The Israelites literally missed it with Jesus. And let me explain to you. Most of us Christians on this side of the, of, of the calendar of, of the world affairs, and we go, we're this far on the other side of when Jesus was born, and we're like, how could you people be so stupid? I, I don't know if you know the S word is actually a spiritual word in this occasion. And we just get angry at them. We just think, we, we have this little disgusted look at these Jews but let me show you a little something. How would have we looked? It was around 607 B.C. when the Israelites were exiled from Israel to Babylon. And there they are in exile. They're in captivity. And it's during that time that they're holding out with hope that the Messiah would come. Praying that he would set them free. And there's a reason because the scriptures speak about God restoring everybody. And then finally they get free from that. And now we're around 
around 164 B.C. And all of a sudden, there's some crazy guy. You know that 400 years of silence? There's some stuff that went down that we don't see in the Scriptures because we call it those silent years, around 400 years. But here's about 164 B.C. Josephus talks about this. Some guy named Judas Maccabeus, where we get First and Second Maccabees that's not in our Bible. There's the story of how this priest, this Jewish priest, is, is for whatever reason put in point position to lead the revolt against not the Babylonians, but this other group of people. They, they were called the. I, I, I'm kind of hard to pronounce it. Seleucids, the Seleucids. The yes guys. And everybody followed him. And they won. And they were set free. So think about it. If you're a Jew, you're, from, you're an Israelite. You remember what God did with Moses in the Red Sea and how he overtook all of the Pharaoh and his, and his, and his army. And, and you know all these incredible stories. And Samson and pushing out. And the temple going down and thousands are dead. You remember all these things in just 164 years. There was some guy named Judas Maccabee. And you know what happened, what happened with the Babylonians. And you're thinking, there's got to be a warrior Messiah on his way. Can you imagine what your expectation would be now? Are you looking for anybody that would be and act like Jesus? Doesn't make any sense. Jesus, the carpenter's kid, the one we think he's a, you know, the B word because he's illegitimate. We don't know if he's actually the offspring of a Roman soldier because, you know, she got pregnant before they were married. You don't think that story stood with him the rest of his life? And their expectation is, this cannot be the guy. Have you ever been in a situation and you think, is this what it's supposed to be? Because I don't think it's supposed to be like this. Your expectation is over here. I'll be honest with you. I've been pastoring for a long time. Over three decades. And I'm thinking, at this season of my life, I'm going to be like this. I have this expectation. <clears throat> there it went. Why? Because God has a plan that just because I don't know the plan doesn't mean I'm right in the middle of his plan. I don't know where you're at. But maybe your expectation is something's wrong with me or something's wrong with this or something's wrong with that or mom or dad or this or that. And God's saying, where's your expectation at? Why don't you ask if this is exactly what I expected and wanted you to be at this particular season of life? And if you're right in the middle of his will, then you're right in the middle of God's will. And it's going to be incredible just being. I, I like how, um, I can't think of her name right off the bat, but she says, in, uh, Joyce Myers, enjoying where you're at on the way 
to where you're going. How many have done that in your life? I know that when I just get out of high school, life will be grand. I'll be a real adult finally. That didn't work. I know when I go to college. I know when I get a big job. I know when I get married. I know when I have kids. I know when I buy a house. I know when I get all the bills paid off. I know when I get to sit in the rocking chair every day for as long as I want. I know when I get to just watch Prices Right every day. I know, I know, I know. And how many find out? Wrong, 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 wrong. Why don't you enjoy the moment? Because if you're a grandparent or great-grandparent, you're looking back and you're telling those young families, enjoy them because it goes by so fast. Hug her one more time. Give her a kiss one more time. What do you learn? You learn that you have to enjoy the moment right where you're at. Why? Because those expectations will lie to you. Be careful with your expectations. They will lie to you. Now, the Jews failed to recognize Jesus for who he really was. I'm sorry, but they just missed it. Now, let's look at, there's this kingdom that Jesus talks about. It's a kingdom of peace, of prosperity, and revival. And it comes from, from the Old Testament. And we see this. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. I know it's going to sound weird when I read this, and you're going to go, what, what are you talking about? What does this have anything to do? But just hang in there. In the day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria, northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, Ethiopia, Elam, in Babylonia, and Hamath, and all the distant coastlands, he will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Now, this is about the time you grab your cup of coffee and start drinking and go to the next page. I know I would. But there's something here. See, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a time when the Lord would gather his people from all the corners of the world. The north, the south, the east, and the west. He was going to restore them and bring them in. There was this promise that they must have felt really good about. That the Romans had held the Jews under their crushing authority. And that there was hopes that in, according to Isaiah, this could be broken. And then Jeremiah spoke. And he said, verse 3, chapter 23. I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Doesn't that just sound just like Isaiah? Here we see the Lord again gathering his people, restoring them to their homeland. Again, quite a promise when so many were just languishing, suffering under the oppression of the hands of the Romans. And then there's Hosea, chapter 3, verse 5. But afterward the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. You getting this? In the last days they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of His goodness. Again we see the Lord gathering His people, restoring them to their homeland. 
But this time, the Lord does not just bring them back to their land. He also promises them that they will seek the Lord in His goodness. There's going to be revival. Wow. See, these passages from Isaiah, Jeremiah, and from Hosea all speak of a time when the Lord will gather. And there's many other scriptures share the same thing. Gather His people back. And then the promise of prosperity, of peace, of growth, of increase. This is clearly a reference to the Messiah. The one who would restore the kingdom of Israel. And bring peace and justice to the world. Because these promises like these and many others... The ancient Israelites believed that the Messiah would have to be a political leader. He'd have to be. That he also believed that he would have to be a warrior. They also believed that he would be a spiritual leader. Can you not see, when you start thinking of the story of Judas Maccabeus, that that's what this guy was? He was a priest. He was a political leader. He was a warrior. And they're thinking... You got to look like Judas Maccabeus. Make sure you comb your hair like him, brush your beard like him, because you got to look like him. You got to look like all of those guys in the past. So, needless to say, their expectations of the Messiah was very, very focused on the past. It's no wonder why the Jewish leaders were offended. By Jesus. The reality is, Jesus did not fit their expectations at all. Jesus was nothing like what they wanted. And he was a threat because he was doing crazy things. He was taking a little boy's lunch and then feeding thousands. He was walking on the water. He was just messy. He would go and sit down. And for three chapters, and you know, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he, he just preaches without notes. And he talks about how bad they've been teaching wrong the things of God. Wait a minute, we're the religious leaders and you're talking about us? How dare you? Doesn't work that way. You're supposed to be on our side we're supposed to be buddies and you're saying that i'm a snake you're calling all of us religious leaders the the sadducees the pharisees you're calling us hypocrites you're actually telling us how to pray you're some carpenter's kid and you're illegitimate and people are giving more money to your ministry than to, to our ministry. Can you see how their expectations are getting messed up? And they got personal. Let's look at John 18, 36. And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
Now, we read this last week, and we know this is the idea, uh, this is the story, to kind of give you context here. Pilate is being forced to have to interrogate and question Jesus, and he says, are you, a, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus gives this answer of what I just read, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, I don't know about you, but for a lot of people, this passage is really, really confusing for even Christians. What do you mean? And, and on one hand, Jesus is, the, is king of a kingdom. And on the other hand, he says his kingdom's not of this world. How can you be a king and not be of the world? So how can Jesus say these things? And if it's not of this world, where is it? Are you an alien? And why aren't his servants fighting on behalf of Jesus? It's because there's something else at play. Jesus has to die. He has to die. As the Lamb of God for all of the sins of Marvin and of you. The greatest act of love the world has ever seen. And because of that greatest act of love, we see more power. Power was so powerful that people who already were in their little tombs, their graves, with their stones rolled over them, those busted open because of an earthquake. And while Jesus was still on the cross... The dead came out of their graves alive. More love, more power. So the first thing to note here is that Jesus is in fact a real king. Remember, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now that, that comes from that conversation that he has with Pilate. Let's kind of go back to that a little bit. Pilate was a commander. He was a governor. He was yet an agent of the Roman Empire. And the kingdom was very much his responsibility to make sure it maintained its power. So he's asking, why, if you're a king, why? Because are you a threat, to the, a threat to the Roman government? If you're a threat to the Roman government, I will put that down. That is worthy of you being crucified on a cross. And yet, Jesus is speaking in a way that nobody can understand. So in, con in Jesus' kingdom, he says, it's not of this world. It's not a kingdom of earthly power or of earthly influence. Instead, it's a spiritual kingdom where spiritual power, where spiritual influence rules and reigns. This is why Jesus says that his servants would not fight to prevent his arrest, because if he doesn't go to the cross, then as we pray, his kingdom come, it can't come until Jesus dies and raises from the grave. Jesus knew that. It's a different mission. It's not about setting Israel free from the Roman government. That wasn't it. It's about a kingdom where everybody's welcome, regardless of their past, Regardless of their current circumstances, you're all welcome. Jesus says, come on in. 
There's more room. There's plenty of room at my table. And don't worry, if there's not, we'll make the table bigger. Put another leaf in there. Put another leaf in there. Put another leaf in there. Keep going. Keep going. And you know what's the best thing about Jesus' table? Nobody has to sit at the kiddie table. We get to sit at the big table. And Jesus wants to be there with each and every one of us. Oh, I can't wait. Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom of man, unlike the Romans. The Jewish leadership and the people, their great expectations caused them to miss Jesus for who he really was. Here's my question. How do you see Jesus today? Do you think you really see him the way he wants you to see him? Now I got a, another question. Do you know Jesus sees you a certain way? Do you see you? The way he sees you? Or do you live life based on all the lies that mom and dad and the siblings and all the coaches and all the bosses and the, and the ex-wife and the ex-husband and the this and that? Do you believe what the world says about you? Or do you see you the way he sees you? There were some who finally eventually recognized him. And praise God that we're able to be this side of history to see it. I want you guys to, I want to do a little illustration with you. I want you to think of a chalice. I want you to think of a vase. I, I want you to think of, of, of something really big that you could put flowers into. Okay? A vase. Whatever that might be. So when you think of that, it, it'd be a lot easier to be able to look at this picture because I, I want you to see if you can see this. So would you put this picture up there for me? Do you see that incredible vase, that vase? And how many of you actually see the two faces facing each other? You see how easy it is if somebody was to say, I want you to see this, and this is what you're going to see because that's the expectation. But if you have the eyes of the Lord, you can see beyond what everybody else has seen. You can see something that God wants you to see about you, about him, about her, about that kid, about that child, about that grandbaby, about your church, about your government. You can see what maybe nobody else has seen because you're willing to say, God, show me what I don't naturally see. Because the world only sees the vase. But God, really, what's going on here is there's two people facing each other. What am I seeing? Because my expectations are limiting my spiritual eyes to see what you want me to see in me and those around me. Because if we don't have eyes to see, we, like the Jews, will miss Jesus. We won't see him in our church. We won't see him in our marriage. We won't see him 
at work and wherever we're at. We won't see the Holy Spirit moving and working in us. We'll miss the opportunity that God wanted us to to just come up and, and just touch somebody and say, God loves you. We'll miss it because we're too busy looking at the vase, the chalice. And we can't see the obvious that there's two faces. And maybe God says, uh, these are people I want you to talk to. So Father, I come before you and I ask, what am I missing? What, what am I blinded to that I can't see what you want me to see? Because my expectations are rooted in the things of the world the traditions of man that make the power of God of no effect in my life, that I can't see what you want me to see. That the kingdom of God is at hand. That you want us to be a part of revival. That you want to heal the sick. You want to restore the brokenhearted. You want to set the captive free. Those who are young. God, you want to use us. But to be able to use us, God, you have to do something in us so you can do something through us. So God, forgive me of my human expectations that causes me to be blind to what you want me to see. Help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to see the person in the mirror the way you want me to see that person in the mirror. Oh God, come and help us not to miss it. We bow our hearts to you. We bow each and everything about us that we think is so important. And we just lay those idols at the altar. And we just say, Jesus. Just Jesus. 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 We pray your will. And we pray your way. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.